This podcast is brought to you by YearToSuccess.com, a free online course on success. Enroll at YearToSuccess.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. My name is Ryan Levesque, and on today's show, we'll meet the 2018 Golden Gavel recipient, Keith Ferrazzi. Lots of fantastic content in today's episode. Let's get right to it. Keith Ferrazzi has been named as the 2018 Golden Gavel recipient for his leadership in the field of networking and relationship building. This award recognizes Ferrazzi's extensive influence in encouraging individuals and organizations to build trusting, mutually beneficial relationships. Ferrazzi will accept the award in August at the 87th Annual Toastmasters International Convention in Chicago, Illinois. His research on relationships, along with decades of experience as an entrepreneur and chief marketing officer for multinational corporations, helped him develop his influential leadership techniques for, quote, leading without authority. His two books, Never Eat Alone and Who's Got Your Back, were both New York Times bestsellers. Keith Ferrazzi, first of all, a hearty congratulations and welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Ryan, thanks so much. I am touched, I'm humbled, and I'm inspired to be with you all in Chicago. Fantastic. I, I want to ask you to start off, Keith. What were your thoughts when you got the phone call about being awarded with this honor of the Golden Gavel Award? I was really moved. I grew up and know about the Toastmasters organization from a very young man. My dad used to talk about it when I was growing up. I wrote about it in Never Eat Alone. And so many individuals who have written me after having gone to Toastmasters because of the encouragement from Never Eat Alone to build their courage, their communication skills, their confidence with other individuals in relating to them. I didn't even imagine that uh, a day would come when this poor kid from Pittsburgh would be accepting an award among the individuals who have who have preceded me. So I was moved. I was deeply moved. You know, I, to some extent, sorry, I'm getting choked up here myself right now, but to some extent, I wish my dad was here to, to see it. Mm. Can you share with us a little bit more about that family background? Because I think people see where you are now when living in Los Angeles and being around a lot of influential people and sharing the stage with, with lots of other influential people. But you mentioned this humble background. Tell us a little bit more about what that was like growing up for you. I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania in the, outside of the Pittsburgh area. You know, you couldn't see another house from our house. We lived out in the country, a lot of farmland out there. My dad was Italian-American, first generation, steel worker, ditch digger, whatever was necessary to make ends meet. Unemployed a lot back in the 70s, the steel industry was really crumbling. And I saw the outcome and the outgrowth of poor American management at the time where the steel industry just was not competitive. My mom had to go become a cleaning lady, and she hated that. I had to go work at the age of 11 at the local country club, not because it was a good summer job to be able to afford cool cool kicks for my feet, but because it actually was important to get that extra 20 bucks to help the family. So that's the background. And then from that, my ticket to where I am today really came through an awakening and in that job as a caddy. And I'll tell this story a little bit more in detail in Chicago, but as a caddy, where I started recognizing that the power of wealth was not the wealth itself, but what it was the connection that wealth gave you. 
It was the individuals who were helping each other, the children being helped by parents and friends of parents, etc. And I realized that while I wasn't born into wealth, that the relationships were something that I could create through authenticity, through being of service. That's the only thing I had was who, who I was. I couldn't do anything. People always come up and ask me that question. It's like, Keith, you know, one of the things I'm struggling with is I want to meet all these amazing people, but what do I have to offer? And the reality is you have a lot to offer with your authenticity, with your generosity, with your time, et cetera. So I learned that path. And it was one of the individuals along the way that made a strong recommendation that I get into speech and debate. It was challenging for me. I mean, you know, Pittsburgh doesn't have the most eloquent of accents. Yun's uh, guy's going to go downtown, lots of ain'ts and, and otherwise. And I just wasn't quite speaking the language of where I wanted to go. And through speech and debate and through the support of amazing individuals, ultimately because of my relationships that were formed and scholarships, I was able to go to a private all boys boarding school, also in Pennsylvania called Kiskey Prep. And all of those things fermented with speech and debate and drama and a few other things in my winning the National Forensics League speaking and debate uh, conference on the national level. And that really became the ticket to getting into Yale and then subsequently Harvard Business School, et cetera, et cetera. You sort of keep going from there. And, and even now, my stage presence, probably my greatest skill set, uh, humbly speaking, I know I'm going to be in front of a group of individuals that have mastered public speaking in extraordinary ways. So I don't pretend to be any better than, than the good ones out there, but I'm definitely good. And with that background, uh, I've been allowed to step into halls and, and into offices and boardrooms and uh, infrastructure of major corporations and institutions and governments all over the world that allows me to serve the world in a fundamentally different way, in a way that I wouldn't have ever imagined. So I'm absolutely blessed. And the key that unlocked all of that of course, was the relationships, but the key that unlocked all of that was the awakening to communications and my ability to relate to others. Yeah, I just want to add, too, for listeners who have not seen Keith speak, go on YouTube, search his name. Just watching you speak is, is a workshop in improving your speaking. You know, the tipping point for me and my speaking skills, I mean, early on, I learned how to have a good argument, shape a good structured conversation, etc., and obviously, I've always had a lot of passion and charisma in my voice. That was God-given. What came to me over time that was really the tipping point to my success with an audience was to stop worrying about my success with an audience and begin to only focus on the success of the audience. I will stand in the back of a room, and as, as I will do when I come to uh, Chicago, I'll stand in the back of the room, and I will, without anybody knowing who I am at the time, I will look at people and I will try to meet their eyes and I'll imagine who they are, where they come from and what I might be able to do to serve them. And I'll tell a backstory in my head. I'll tell the backstory that probably isn't too far from the truth in terms of the struggles and the challenges where these people are. And I know where I've been and I am still in many ways and how I struggle and where I, I'm challenged. And that sense of vulnerability just opens my heart to want to be of service. And it melts the intimidation factor. I've been in front of rooms that are very intimidating, extraordinarily intimidating, both in terms of their cultural predisposition and in terms of their position and authority. And, and I've even been told that audiences are really difficult as one speaker's getting off the stage and I'm getting on. But they, but they aren't for me because I see the human. And when you see the human and you choose to serve them and all of your remarks are really focused on serving them, it is a game changer. It's just a game changer. 
amazing how just a, a slight shift in the way you choose to perceive can make such a, a difference to how you show up on the stage. Exactly. Keith, I, I want to ask you about this notion of relationships. I, I've heard you say in several of your talks that we're hardwired to have better relationships. Can you crack that open a little bit for us? Yeah, I mean, when you go back 70,000 years and our species was cracked onto this planet and independent of what you believe from a faith perspective of how that happened, um, I happen to, to be a Christian myself, but is we were in tribes and our core DNA was incubated for such a long period of time in tribes. If we weren't in a group of people, we, we would die. We would be eaten by something. So the criticality of of us finding our tribe is so crucial. And yet in today's world, most of our research, and I have a research institute that focuses on the relational and collaborative sciences. Today, we are less in tribes. We are less functional in tribes than ever before. If you can be the kind of person that walks around the world inviting people into your tribe, then you have an extraordinary advantage because you've given something to somebody that is an eight and core to their DNA that they long for that they long for and they don't find enough in the world. And that can be your true value proposition, independent of the transactional value you might be bringing in whatever business you have or any business idea that you have. Um, there is a universal connectivity that you could open up if you truly choose to do so. Just this morning, Keith, I saw a meme on Facebook. And let me preface this with saying, certainly here in the U.S. right now, but around the world, there's so much that divides us. I'll say the word politically, and I think that gives enough <laughs> context to get a sense of where I'm going with this without getting into any specific politics. But I saw this meme on Facebook, and it, it had this message, and I'm bringing this up because the notion of tribal relationships is, uh, is what sparked this for me. And this meme was encouraging people to disconnect with those who are on the other side of, of the aisle politically, so as to not normalize their political position. And I wonder, I'm really curious to hear what you would say about that. Someone for whom relationships are so important. Is there a, a time to say that this relationship has no possibility because we're we're just from two diverse places? Of course there is if you choose hopelessness. And I don't choose hopelessness. We can only function as a society interdependently. This is, you're, you're basically teeing up the introduction to my new book, which will be coming out next year, that the working title of the book is Leading Without Authority. And the idea that today we live in a world that is fully interdependent. In Washington, no one party can singularly change the world effectively. I don't think any one set of beliefs or ideas has all of the answers. It is through a sense of collectivism and a sense of collaboration and opening up inclusion and possibility that we will truly find the answers that we seek as a society for ultimate success. And I understand differences of opinion. And I understand that differences of opinion can also be shaped as fundamental differences in values, but these are the people that we cohabitate with. And these are the individuals that have power and have their own authority. And if you want to try to achieve great things, 
you have to achieve them through the network of individuals who have the resources and the power and the authority to achieve them with you. Otherwise, all that you will achieve will be small because it will only be limited to the resources and the capabilities of those who agree with you. And I fundamentally believe that we are leaving on the table so many potential partners because we don't invite others in, because we don't have the capacity to influence as opposed to what we desire, which is the capacity to control. And we don't have the capacity to control enough. So if we really want to be great, if we really want to be grand, if we want the possibilities to be extraordinary, if we want change to be to be huge and massive in this world, it's got to happen through a collaborative action. Independent what you might feel of any individual political leader or leaders or country leaders, et cetera. I mean, the hope and the possibility of what Reagan and, and Gorbachev brought to the world and moved us into a new era. What might be occurring today with North Korea, I don't know. I, I'm not a, a student of, of the details of that. But what I can tell you is that through collaborative dialogue and hope and possibility comes the ability to move to a new era. And this is true of you and your ability at work. Every individual who's listening in has a set of individuals that could be on their team that may not know it yet. Now, if you want to dig in and divide, you will be limited in your, you will be mediocre. Your ability to dig in and divide is your signing the fate of your mediocrity. You want to be great. You want to have abundant resources available at your fingertips. Then you reach out collectively, empathetically, humbly, vulnerably. That's the formula for our success. And that's what I wish for everybody. And I hope that those that will be with me in Chicago will, will come away with a bit more of a formula to help bring that into their own lives. And go back to Never Eat Alone. It's a great book that starts that, but Never Eat Alone was built about building networks of opportunity. My new focus of my attention these days is building networks of productivity, where the world works in networks. Now the question is, how do you achieve great things for transformation of yourself and transformation of organizations through managing networks differently and better? you're stumbling into an area that I wanted to ask you about anyway, which is this notion of creating teams that won't let each other fail. I've heard you speak about that. And the thing that, that comes to mind instantly for me, and maybe this is just the cynic <laughs> in me, is, but how do you do that when there's inevitably that person on the team who is the weak link and you feel like you're always covering for that person? How do you have their back and trust them to have your back? How do you create that, that culture of teams that won't let each other fail? Well, you've just teed up a very long conversation, which I will try to, <laughs> uh, try to punctuate. But it was the basis of this philosophy that we were able to and were invited humbly into help coach the transformation of one of the largest companies in the world out of bankruptcy. It's that philosophy that is currently the DNA of our work with Dr. Jim Kim at the World Bank in the, in the transformation of the World Bank, who currently gives out $100 billion uh, a year in, in loans and, and funding and is looking to use that as seed for trillions of dollars to come to the core of, of eradicating poverty. The answer is a number of things. Number one, we have to redefine integrity in organizations today. Today, integrity is you show up, you do your job, 
and you don't steal from the company and you don't abuse other people in the workplace. And that's good. What I see in teams is people will lie. And for some reason, that's acceptable. So that defines the values of the company and integrity. People will work in their silos and through their jobs to the detriment of others, at a minimum through scarcity and coexistence, sometimes even proactively, but at a minimum to maximize their own self and not maximize shareholder value. They work in their own silos. And I can go on and on. And, and, and in fact, where does your development and growth come from? You know, that individual is the weak link. I love that because the contract, the old contract that doesn't work is that that individual is responsible for their own damn growth and development. Or they and the boss have to do it, and I just have to stand by and watch that individual be mediocre because it's not my job to lift them higher. It's their job to lift them higher. And if the boss isn't doing it, who am I to say? Well, that's just a broken contract. There's rules that we're living in today in the workplace that just do not work for today's work environment. We live in a world that where transformational pressures are so extraordinarily from the outside. Transformational pressures are so extraordinary for you just to keep your job. You've got to transform your capabilities. And, and that means that you've got, to can't, you've got to be on a team that transforms each other's capabilities, where we all have to go higher together just to meet the demands and the pressures of the world. We have to change the rules that we work under. The rules that you're, you're defining and you're, you're calling on are, are a set of rules that just don't work today. And they'll lead, once again, to mediocrity. They'll lead to your own dismal failure as an individual and not helping transform the organization. And they'll, they'll lead to the disruption that will halt your basic company. I mean, at Starwood Hotels, we didn't see Airbnb when I was chief marketing officer at Starwood. Somebody else had to create that. That level of disruption is unacceptable. But what's going to embrace the inclusion and the ideation and, and bringing in diverse thoughts? Again, our philosophy of going higher together, our philosophy of a team that won't let each other fail, that co-creates and co-develops everything together, and that actually is responsible for co-developing each other as well as ourselves. That's the kind of team and that's the kind of collectivism that will win, but not, not, not the kind of philosophy of yesterday, which was fine for yesterday, by the way, don't kick yourself because that worked when you had transformational pressures, which were much significantly lower than they are today. But given what we have today, and if you truly want to be exceptional, you've got to adopt a new set of roles, including making your team not just a group coexisting, not just a group that periodically collaborates when someone's in need, but a team that is committed to each other's success, that rises to the occasion of co-developing and calling each other of on the places where we can develop more thoroughly and fully. And we have proven that there, that is a coachable methodology. We are bringing that to teams all over the world in all forms and functions. And someday I pray that I'll be able to bring that to a presidential cabinet. I'll be able to bring that to a presidential cabinet that has a, an aspiration of building better and deeper relationships with the legislative body and with its, its counterparts and other parties. Because today the divisiveness that we have is just not going to make America great. Making America great is going to be when America comes together as a collective unit, like we have in, in times of, of desperation, in wartime, at ni after 9-11. And a great leader can bring that collectivism. And I, and I really hope and pray that I, someday I'm, I'm called on to be of service and help coach in that area. And, and I've been doing it in the Middle East and helping with uh, Israel and Palestine and, and helping kids who are taken to the street to get greater peace. You know, that's why I'm going uh, very soon to Beirut and working with the World Bank in that same way. Wow. And that's a, a challenging 
message for sure, but a, a super important one. On perhaps a less um, less inspiring, but still equally practical level. As you know, we are going to be having people from the four corners of the globe descending upon Chicago in a, a few short weeks here. And I know that one of the things you have taught in the past is related to getting the most from a conference or convention experience. So I wonder, Keith, if you might have just a couple of quick tips for people, whether it's the Toastmasters International Convention or whatever convention or conference they're next attending, of, of how they can get the most from that experience. Sure. There's a chapter in, in my book, Never Alone, called Be a Conference Commando. <laughs> and I would highly, highly recommend that you go on to the book or just go online, frankly, and grab out of that a, a set of, um, of documents that I think could be very effective around Conference Commando. So if you just search, you know, Conference Commando, Keith Ferrazzi, you'll find, you'll find what you need. But um, in the meantime, what I want you to think about is who are the people at the conference coming up that you want to co-create great things with in your life? Have you thought about finding them in advance? Not sure what systems of protocol the organization has that allow you to search databases, et cetera, in advance to find these folks. But you need to reach out to people in advance. At a minimum, the speakers are published. So I'll be there. And everybody knows I'll be there. And if you're listening here, you know I'm going to be there. Most likely, I will have downtime, right? You may or may not be able to figure out where I'm staying. But most speakers will probably be staying in relatively the same you know, limited numbers of hotels. If you can't reach out to us online if, and, and give us a value proposition, give the people that you want to see in advance a value proposition, say to them, here's how I think I can help you. Be straight out. Say, I think I can help you in the following ways. I've done research. I've thought about you. Here's what I, here's my skill sets. Don't reach out to people and say, I want your time to help me. Reach out to people and say, what, here's what I think I can do for you. Keith, I love what you're doing with foster care. This happens to be my foundation. I've got two foster boys of my own. You know, I've got, a, I've got a, uh, an opportunity where I think I could really help your foundation in foster care. Or Keith, I know your organization serves large corporations. I work at Yada Yada Company. I'd love to be your ambassador inside of that company to think about ways that your intellectual property could really change and transform our organization, right? You know, those kind of things are the kind of things that will prompt individuals to say, oh, wait, yeah, I can find five minutes for that person, right? Then you show up and authentically be you. You know, you be the kind of individual that is the kind of person that that you truly want to uh, want to have as an attractive light in that conversation. Right. This is the stuff that you're taught in, in Toastmasters. How do you show up as an authentic, humble, normal individual that is attractive to that individual in conversation? And at the same time, continue to to dig into that person and find out how can you be of service? I, I have had so many people that I am now deep lit, rich, long-lasting friendships that started by them finding me at a conference and effectively finding ways to attract my attention early on. You can also host a, a conference in a conference. Why don't you, you know, one of the open lunches, send it, reach out to people and say, hey, listen, I've picked a bunch of people that I think are really interesting. Here's the list of the names. Here's 20 people that I think are the most interesting people at the conference. Would you all like to join this table together? Right? And you're just happening to be there. <laughs> right? I mean, you can... You know, it's not that they're coming for you. They're coming for the other 20 people. But if you can actually get a few people to say yes early on and act as the anchor tenants, I mean, heck, if somebody wanted to reach out to me and say, hey, Keith, I'd love to use you as bait 
to pull together the 20 most powerful people at the conference. <laughs> I'll do all the work. You just have to agree to show up. Would you do it? I would say yes. <laughs> Imagine the amount of time that that's really, do you think about that? I mean, why wouldn't somebody say yes to that? So your ability to think in advance about what you're trying to achieve and how you're of service and who do you want to meet, this is the game changer. So, you know, it's an absolute uh, open playing field for any of you that want to take control of your destiny at that conference. Or, by the way, you can show up and sit in the conference, watch the event at breaks, get on your damn phone and call people, you know, who you would normally be talking to instead of building relationships. And then you'd walk away with no more value from the event than you would have had if you'd watched it online. Congratulations. You're mediocre. <laughs> Don't be mediocre. Awesome. Awesome. I, I love it. Really unique ideas there. And I know there were more in the uh, resource you mentioned about being a conference commando. Thank you for that, Keith. And, and before we wrap up here, I, I know that you're going to have extended period on stage to share what you're going to share. But can you just give us a taste of kind of the key messages that you're going to share from the stage in Chicago? I think you just had it. <laughs> I mean, it's all of these things and more. It's yeah. all of these things and more. I want you to show up richly shining in this world, building the kind of relationships that make the world better and in the process, you great. So let's figure out how to do that together. Beautifully stated. Keith Ferrazzi, congratulations again on your soon-to-be-presented Golden Gavel Award, and thank you so much for your time and sharing with us here today on the Toastmasters podcast. I couldn't be more humbled. I couldn't be more excited. I will look forward to meeting you all in Chicago. Hi, this is Bo Bennett, host of the Toastmasters podcast. Back in 2004, I wrote the book Year to Success, the most complete and practical book on success ever written. Thanks to today's technology, I've turned the book into an online course. Here's the best part. The course is 100% free. Enroll at yeartosuccess.com and work on one personal development idea each day for the next eight months or so. That address is yeartosuccess.com. See you there.